0: I had my first and only encounter with paintball 20 years ago. Upstate New York, in the woods, camouflage, boots, helmet, goggles, face shield, gloves, air tank, gun, paintballs, and a bunch of guys. And it was quite an experience. Because we're out in the woods, and we're trying to duck and dodge. The, the, the paintball is being fired by our opponents. And if you got hit, there was this phosphorescent paint that just splattered all over, and you know you were hit, and everyone else knew that you were hit. And I remember one shot fired. I didn't hear the, the paintball fire, but I heard it whiz past my ear. It was that close, and hitting the tree behind me, making a big splat. It was a lot of fun, especially for a boy from New York City to be out in the woods with paintball and a bunch of guys. Now, you might be wondering, why are you talking about paintball? Well, over the past six weeks, we've been looking at what Scripture says about the various roles and relationships. And even though we have been careful to explain that even if a person doesn't fit that role or relationship at this particular season of their life, the underlying biblical truth was applicable to all. But in spite of that admonition, I've seen a few duck and dodge every week. Oh, I'm not a wife. Oh, I'm not a husband. Oh, that's going to leave a mark. I'm not married. I don't have children. My children are too old. I was out of town last week and didn't hear the message. So I'm putting everyone on notice. This morning, everyone is getting splattered with a paintball of biblical truth. I want to start out with this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We don't realize how much new has come when we repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've captured 42 elements, which is just a subset of what we find in Scripture, and broken it down into six general categories. We have a new nature, We have new access to God. We have new freedom. We have new provisions. We have a new destination. And the topic for this morning's message is the new family we have in Christ. And today's study is an appropriate wrap-up for our previous six weeks as we looked At the roles and relationships that we have. But before we look at our new family in Christ, I think it's important to lay down a little bit of a foundation as to why it's important to know. Why is it important for us to know who we are in Christ? had a conversation with a brother and sister before service and we were talking about how at the root of a believer's struggles in abiding in Christ can all be pointed to a lack of understanding or lack of knowledge in who they are in Christ. And it's important to know because there are three groups that want us to have the wrong view of who we are in Christ. There are no neutral parties. Either they're for the cause of Christ or they're against it. And these are three that are against the cause of Christ. So in your notes, 1A, the first that is against us and wanting us to know the wrong view of who we are in Christ is the world. Those are the systems of the unbelieving world. The world is anti-God. Whatever God's position is, they take a different one. God says that man is unique in all of creation. The world says that man is just an animal. God says that he is God, he exists, and he is to be worshipped and obeyed. The world says that God doesn't exist And everyone can do their own thing. God equips and calls believers to transform into the image of Christ. We're not to remain unchanged. The world says, whatever a person believes to be true is true. And the world will change to accommodate that belief, regardless. If they want to redefine marriage? They do. They want to redefine when life begins? They do. They want to redefine what defines gender? They do. The world has a wrong view of God based on their own opinions and their self-investment in their own self-determination. It has a skewed view of Christians as well. They embrace whenever we fall short, but they ignore our obedience to justify their disbelief. They want believers to fall short because when we fall short, they can point to us and say, see, you're no different than us, so why should I believe? I have a question for you. Do we acknowledge our stumbles in front of unbelievers? Do we acknowledge and confess that to them? Do we explain to them, I just said this, I just did that, and that is not what the Lord commanded me to do. And I want to apologize and explain to you that I have fallen short from what the Lord has called me to do. But there's forgiveness in Christ. Do we hold other believers accountable to their obedience to the Lord? In a loving way, gentle way, but do we do that? When we don't confess and correct, we allow others to conclude that our sins are a proper exercising of our faith. we must hold ourselves and others accountable to what the lord has called us to do and that's 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 uh, commanded of us in 1 corinthians chapter 5 verses 9 through 13 we need to be transparent with unbelievers in the world because they are looking for reasons and they will manufacture reasons for their unbelief The second group that wants us to have the wrong view of who we are in Christ, 1B, is the flesh. That's ourselves. Our selfishness and our pride. Our flesh wants to hold on to the old man. It wants us to hold on to patterns of thoughts, words, and actions from before being saved. We can distort scripture to justify our actions and choices. And when life gets uncomfortable, we can drift towards things of physical comfort that might end up being sinful. So even our own flesh wants us to have an incorrect view of who we are in Christ. So we have the world, we have our flesh, the third one, C, the enemy, Satan and his fallen angels, the demons. He can't possess us as believers because we are sealed with God the Holy Spirit. He's lost us forever. So the only thing he can do is to cause us to be ineffective for Christ. He does that by distorting the truth of who we are in Christ, by accusing us of being the same as we were before we were saved. He will lie and tell us that our freedom is more restrictive than is true. That manifests itself in legalism. Or that the boundaries of our freedom are further out than what the Lord has commanded. And that would be sin. He will say that our circumstances are more serious than they are and that there's no way out that not even God himself can solve the problem. What all three have in common is to pull believers away from Christ. To instill and engrow a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. And just like in the garden, the enemy uses the same three tactics of doubt, uncertainty, and fear Did God really say that? Can God really help you? That's how the enemy works against us. The result is a growing rate of depression, drug abuse, and suicide. Suicide rates within the church are growing at an alarming rate and will soon match that of unbelievers. This is heartbreaking. When we have Jesus, we have everything. And those three don't want us to know that. They will try to convince us that Jesus is not everything, that there is something missing, that we need something more, that we are deficient. But the truth is, when we have Christ, we have everything, because all of his promises are yes. So we have three who don't want us to know who we are in Christ, want us to have a skewed view of our true new identity in Christ. But the flip side is that the Lord wants us to know. He, He actively wants us to know who we are in Christ so that A, 2A in your notes, we can bear fruit. John 15, 18, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Bear fruit. Do things outwardly to demonstrate that we have been made new in Christ. Words and actions that are upright, things that reflect the character of Christ. When we are fruitful, God is glorified. And it proves that we are his disciples. Our changed lives, the things that we do now that we are in Christ, demonstrate the genuine and true power, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in us to those unbelievers. They cannot deny the change that they've seen. Another reason that the Lord wants us to know is so that, B, we can glorify God. When we know who we are in Christ, it is a blessing that results in worship and praise. It is easier for us to see God working in our lives. We have joy. We have hope. We have peace. The more we know, the more grateful we should be. Now, you knew if I was going to be on the platform, I was going to talk about gratitude. You know that. If you've been here any length of time, you know, I am big on giving thanks to the Lord. Are you a grateful people? Are you grateful? Are you genuinely grateful in thanking the Lord for the little things, the big things, the things that happened, the things that didn't? We have so much. We can't thank him enough. Even for the things that we know we should be thankful for, we still don't have enough time to thank him. Do others see your gratitude or do they see your grumbling? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, that we are ambassadors of Christ. You know what that means? That our words and actions represent are supposed to represent who Jesus is, in His character and his nature. Do the things we tell others and show and do to others reflect who Christ is? I can only speak for myself, I, I fall short. and the Holy Spirit convicts me, and I have to repent and confess it because I don't want anyone to have a skewed view of who Jesus is. He is far greater than I can ever explain and show but I don't want to contribute to their unbelief. We're ambassadors of Christ. The third reason not the only reason but the third in this list why the Lord wants us to know is so that C. we can be equipped to stand firm in faith. God gives us all that we need. But we have to know that we have it. You know, if the power goes out in our house, it does little good to have a flashlight in the home if we don't remember that we had the flashlight. We're going to be stuck in the dark even though we have the tool that we need to have light. So we need to know the tools and resources That the Lord has given us so that we can abide in Christ. Because He has equipped us and given us all of that. When we're saved with salvation, comes a new relationship with God and other believers. We aren't on our own. We have God the Holy Spirit in us to teach us, to empower us. We have God's Word that the Lord illuminates to our minds that we can see and understand. We have God's people. The world, the flesh, and the enemy want us to believe that we're alone. That we're the only ones struggling. That no one else understands. That the storms in your life are unique to you and no one else has ever gone through that. That terminal uniqueness. But let's take a look at seven truths about our new relationship and our new role in God's family. Number one, I am a child of God. I put these in the first person, singular, because it's true for me. It's true for all of you who have repented and believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's personal. I am a child of God. You're a child of God. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Every person is God's creation, but only believers are his children. God himself is the only one to dispense that right. No one can earn it. No one can take it. God must give it. He's the only one who can do that. And with being a child of God, comes discipline, blessing, and promises. God is our Heavenly Father. And He does what all fathers are called to do. He protects us. Our Heavenly Father protects us perfectly and completely. Nothing is allowed to happen in our lives that He hasn't authored or permitted he protects us from the little things. He protects us from the big things. He protects us from the things we don't know. I'm so grateful for his protection, for the things that I don't know. I didn't see that one coming. I didn't know that was a hidden danger, only until later have it revealed, months or even years later, that that thing that I thought was a good thing was actually a bad thing. He protects us. And he provides for us. He's the perfect provider. He provides for our needs. He provides those things even if we don't think we need them. He provides for that. Sometimes it's for our own needs. Sometimes it's for someone else's need. And he provides it to us. As a steward, we see, oh, I have this. That person needs this. I don't need it. Here you go. He provides Perfectly. And he grants permission. As parents, we, we, we expect our children to ask for permission before they go and do something. Hey, Dad, can I go to Jimmy's house or can I do this? Well, it's the same way with the Lord. He's our Heavenly Father. We should be asking, Lord, can I do this? That's a regular habit that I have. Lord, can I do this? Oftentimes it's no. Lord, can I do this? No. Can I do that? No. Can I, how about that? No. But you can do this. Oh, I didn't think about that. That's not something I want to do, but you can do it. Our Heavenly Father grants us permission to do the things He has called us to do. And when He tells us no, it's, for, it's only for good reasons. Now, these, this protection, provision, and permission goes beyond the common grace that the Lord extends to all people. The Lord provides for people who even don't believe him, who shake an angry fist at him. He still provides for them in that concept we refer to as common grace. What I was just talking about now is something on top of that that is reserved only for those who are the children of God. 1 John 3, verse 1 See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. It's an act of God's love that he calls us and brings us to him as children. He's not under any obligation. that verse 1 John 3 1 it says the world does not know us when we are saved people who knew us before we were saved no longer know us because of the new life we have in Christ I know for me personally I've heard people tell me from before Christ I don't even know you anymore and to that I say praise the Lord they say oh I want the old Tom back Well, only an unbeliever would want the old Tom back. And I'm sure that's true for you. The change in your life as a result of being saved and having God the Holy Spirit in your heart changes you, changes me, continues to change us. The story's not over yet. We're still in this process of sanctification. Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And in Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And Galatians 4.6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And I can go on and on with other verses that refer to us as his children, those who believe. It's all throughout Scripture. It's a wonderful relationship that we as individual believers have with our Heavenly Father. It's a personal and direct relationship. This isn't a metaphor. This isn't a figure of speech. This is the truth. And all that the Lord commanded of earthly parents, he does far, far more and he does it perfectly. As for us, sometimes we're spiritual toddlers. Sometimes we're spiritual teenagers in rebellion thinking we know more than God himself. It's part of the process and growing in sanctification. And as we walk with the Lord, we see the wisdom in His truth. We see it in action, we've seen it practiced. And as we grow and mature, we have a better understanding. We'll never have a full understanding in this side of heaven, but we grow in our understanding of who our Lord is. The second truth about our relationship within our new family. Number two, I am a friend of Jesus. That is another amazing truth. God the Son, the sovereign of the universe, is our friend, my friend. He's your friend if you repented and believed. John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. And John 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus said there, it's very clear, if we are obedient, we are his friends. God's love for us is unchangeable and immovable. But we can do things to please him or displease him. When we're obedient, God can spend time with us on the deeper, richer things of the kingdom rather than on discipline. If we're disobedient, if we're in rebellion, the Lord has to take a time out to help correct us, to get us back on the track because we can't understand the deeper and richer things of the kingdom when we're in rebellion. We're not seeing clearly, we're not acting clearly when we are in sin. In all that Jesus does, he is perfect, and he is the perfect friend. He is for us. He wants us to be like him. He wants to help us, not hinder us. His counsel is for our good. There's no conflict in His agendas of bringing glory to Him and our good. They are compatible. Those two agendas of God's glory and our good are compatible. In this fallen world, social media has distorted the definition of friend. Anyone who has an internet connection could just sign on to social media People we don't even know, send me friend requests. How can I be your friend? I don't even know who this person is. That's a subtle thing that's seeping into people's consciousness. They have a redefinition of what it means to be a friend. But Jesus is the true and perfect friend. The third truth we see, number three, I am a branch of the true vine in the conduit of Christ's life. Now we see that it's not just a relationship, but there is a strong connection. There is a vitality. There's a a life-giving connection that we have to the Lord. John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus lives in us, and through us. If we're branches that abide in the vine, then people see us. When they see us, they should see Jesus. Just as a branch of a tree gives sustenance from the main vine, a spiritual sustenance comes from Christ. You can't tell the type of fruit tree by the trunk of the tree. You can only tell it what kind of fruit tree it is by the, br- the fruit bearing branches. A lot of fruit trees, their trunk looks almost identical. You really can't tell until you have a, a fruit bearing branch on that tree. And then you can identify oh, that's a pear tree, that's an apple tree, that's a cherry tree. Same with us. People can, unbelievers can only see. Christ in action until he comes back through the fruit that we bear. So are we bearing true and proper fruit of who Christ is? We can trust the Lord to provide what we need to live and bear fruit. He promised that to us. If you would please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 next three truths about who we are in Christ with regard to our family, our new family, are found in these next verses. First Corinthians chapter six. Starting in verse twelve. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, it is, for as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Many of us are familiar uh, with that passage. I'm going to break it down a bit uh, as to what it means with relationship to the new family we have in Christ. Number four, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in me. Just as food is meant for the stomach, our bodies are meant for God, the Holy Spirit. That's what the Apostle Paul, through the by uh, guiding of the Holy Spirit, wrote. Our bodies were meant for the Holy Spirit. God is with us because God is in us. How, how aware are we of that truth? Give us comfort to know that God is here always and in you, always, never leaving you, never forsaking you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul goes on to refer to our bodies as a tent. That concept of a tent is a reference to the tent of meeting that was part of the wilderness tabernacle in the Old Testament. So in a sense, the three parts of that wilderness tabernacle of the most holy place, the holy place, and the court relate to our thoughts, words, and actions respectively. I wish we had time to dig into that, that comparison of our bodies as the temple in in a real sense looking back to the Old Testament. Because we take every thought captive. We speak words of edification and truth. And we do good to all. The fifth truth. Number five, I am joined to the Lord and I'm one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 6.17 But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. This is a supernatural union between Christ and each individual believer. This truth should consume us, should compel us, should drive us. Since I have this union with Christ, the the Holy Spirit is in me, I feel a certain detachment from the world. Do you feel a certain detachment from the world? Do you feel comfortable in the world? That would be... That would be a warning sign if you feel comfortable in the world with what the world is doing, where the world is going. If you're comfortable with that, be warned. Because of the supernatural union that we have with Christ, we should feel a bit distant. We shouldn't feel so comfortable with the world. Again, because the world is anti-God, fighting against God and his purposes fighting against us knowing who we truly are in Christ. Number 6. I am a body part in Christ's body. 1 Corinthians 12:27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We have an identity as a group, but we also have an identity as an individual. As a group, collectively, we are the church. As a person, each of us are individually disciples with unique gifts, abilities, and calling. In contrast, cults remove the individual identity. Individual thought is removed, and they are forced to conform in their thinking and in their actions with perfect unity with no thinking involved. Just go along with the program. Not so with us. Christ's body is diverse, different backgrounds, different experiences, different likes, different dislikes, different personalities. Every family has a crazy Uncle Leo. God's family is no different. Here at Canyon, we're blessed with an abundance of crazy Uncle Leos. I see some looking around. Well, you might be the crazy Uncle Leo. I love it, though. I love that we are who we are. I love that here at Canyon, we can, we can be real. We can choose to be real. We can. Some of us. Have a little bit of a distance because of previous experiences uh, in in church. That's fine. The Holy Spirit is working on that. But I love the diversity that we have of personalities, likes and dislikes, and to see us all as we abide in Christ start to converge on Christ's likeness. Our differences of of personality and, and thought, as the more we mature, start to converge on Christ. So that's a wonderful thing to see amongst our church family. We come in with all different backgrounds and baggage and then through the power of the Spirit and fellowship and teaching and prayer, doing life together, we start to all go towards Christ-likeness. I don't mind being a crazy Uncle Leo. Uh, that's, That's who I am. Ephesians 5.29 For no one has ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Jesus cherishes his church. Flaws, imperfections, and all. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows all the times and ways that we fall short individually and when we're with other believers. And yet he loves us, he nourishes us, cares for us. Nourishes us, not just food to exist, but to grow. He wants us to grow. He feeds us to grow. I am so thankful that I'm not going to be the same five years from now, should the Lord tarry, than I am now, as long as I'm abiding in Christ. Last week, I, I observed my 20th rebirth day. It was 20 years ago that I repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, and, uh, preparing for this message and looking back at that, I look at 20 years of walking with the Lord, and I'm like, if that, if the first 20 years were any indication of what the next 20 are going to look like, I'm going to buckle up and put on a helmet because it's going to be something. So thankful. He nourishes us and he causes us to grow. He wants us to grow. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Although we are all diverse individuals, we are one in Christ. We have a divine unity, a supernatural unity. Things that divide unbelievers should not divide us. The thing that unites us is far more important than the things that might divide us. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's who we have in common. There's nothing more important than that. If you would turn one more time to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to set this up for this next seventh truth. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What a beautiful picture. beautiful picture of who we are in Christ together. Fellowship is the ligaments that connect these body parts. Not all bodies have the same parts. I mean, the human body does, but the body of Christ, each individual group of believers looks slightly different because there are different body parts. One of the responsibilities of the pastors of the church is to understand what the Lord's purpose is for this body, considering the body parts that we have in accord with His Word. Please pray for us, the pastoral care team. Pastor Joe, we got a, a couple of big toes. What do we do with that? Body parts. We have 20 brothers and sisters who have been faithfully going through explored discipleship because they have a heart to be equipped to be able to care for those who are young in the faith and maybe even those who just come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They want to be prepared. They want to be ready. So we can be praying that the Lord would bring new believers, new in the faith, here to Canyon because we are equipped to care for them. In a month or so, probably two months, we're going to have an evangelism class again. A very, very simple and God-honoring way to share our faith with people without breaking relationships. I've used it with great fruitfulness. Others have as well. So we'll have an opportunity to do that. And now imagine what the Lord can do with willing hearts who go out and share the truth of the gospel in love. And the Holy Spirit grabs that person and brings them to saving faith in Christ. Bring those new converts here and now we can care for them, we can equip them, get them going in the basics of our faith and then send them into koinonia groups. We can do that. It would be a wonderful thing to pray for that the Lord would use us to grow the kingdom. Without fellowship... This is just a warehouse of body parts. Sounds disgusting, doesn't it? It sounds disgusting because it is. That is not the Lord's plan for his children. He wants us to be in relationship. He wants us to be in fellowship. Not disconnected. Because this because of this final truth that we'll be looking at this morning. Not the only one in the subject, but the one for this morning. Number seven, I have been made one with all who are in Christ Jesus. We have a bond with each other that is stronger than any other temporal relationship. It's even closer than the relationships we have with our unsaved family members. And that relationship spans the globe. The relationship we have with believers halfway around the world is just as strong and is not diminished because of a difference in culture and history. I'm looking back at our trip to Romania, it's 10 years now. What a joy and blessing that was to come alongside brothers and sisters in another part of the world. Coming out of communism, completely different culture and history, tradition, but the one thing that we had in common was the Lord Jesus Christ. And to fellowship with them, to be an encouragement to them, for them to be an encouragement to us is life-changing. And I know some have been to Haiti on our trips to Haiti and have experienced the same thing and have been to Nicaragua and experienced that same thing. It is life-changing. Brothers and sisters, if you have an opportunity to go visit another group of believers elsewhere in the world. Please do that. It is so impacting to see, to see how everything in the physical realm is so different, yet we have the same Christ, we have the same gospel, we have the same Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, example of God's truth in action. And Lord willing, we'll have some opportunities to go to Japan. Lord, would we'll open up some doors post-COVID, post-pandemic. There might be some opportunities there as well. But if you have the option, you have the opportunity, please do it. You will not be the same. That's how strong that bond is. In John chapter 17, verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So have you seen the progression on these truths? First, it's my, your individual relationship with the Lord. Then it was our collective relationship with the Lord ending up with our relationship with one another. You might have noticed that the the title of this morning's message is Who I Am in Christ, Our New Family. The Christian life starts as an individual and personal experience, but is lived out in the community of family. Unbelievers are watching us. They see us how we interact with them, but they also see us how we interact with one another. And when they see us interacting with one another as the Lord has called us to, we see that in that verse, 21, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When they, when the unbelieving world, who's all about selfishness and self-centeredness, see us loving and caring for one another in a genuine and sincere way by the power of the Holy Spirit, that plants the seed that Jesus is God. Individuals are saved. Groups of people are not saved. Salvation is a personal thing. My experience on how I came to Christ is different than yours. There is no cookie-cutter approach to, that the Lord uses to bring those to the saving knowledge of faith in Him. But once saved, God's plan is to do life together. The Christian life is difficult, I would say, impossible to live alone, because that was not God's design. His his plan was not that we would be individuals who show up on a predefined time on a Sunday morning, sing some songs, listen to something being spoken, and then leave not to do anything else until the next Sunday. That's not God's plan. We're to be in fellowship. We're supposed to be in community and family. And here at Canyon, that's through our koinonia groups, our home groups that meet in, throughout the, the Quad City area. If you're not currently in a koinonia group, you are missing out. And I would strongly encourage you to find one and get plugged in. Our koinonia group corner out in the lobby has a list of days and times and places of when the groups meet. Find one. If one doesn't fit your life schedule at this season, let us know. There might be 12 others who are in the same predicament as you are, well guess what? That could be a new group that forms on a time that's convenient for all of those others as well. Maybe there are work schedules or other impediments. no travel, can't leave the house, don't have a mode of transportation. Whatever prevents you from being part of a koinonia group, please let us know. There are brothers and sisters who want to come alongside and help make that happen. If you're in a koinonia group, praise the Lord. That's a good start. It doesn't end there. Be committed to the group. Life happens, things change in our schedule, but we should make a concerted effort to have that as a priority. Our group meets on a Saturday, which means date night has to be on Friday, which is an added benefit because then when Saturday morning comes and there's yard work to do, sweetheart, I can't tire myself out because we have group night tonight, so. So you see how that works? Make it be committed to the group. Make it a priority to Not just attend, but participate. Be ready to share. Be ready to help someone else who has a need. Oftentimes, we might use fellowship and socializing as synonyms, as if they're the same thing. They're not. Fellowship is gathering around God's Word to express and experience the truth that we have on who we are in Christ. That can only be done with believers. But we're also social beings as well. We love to get together and socialize. It's not a bad thing. You can tell when our group has game night on a Saturday night because Sunday morning, I can barely breathe because my ribs hurt from laughing so much. And I hope that you who are in the group have those, have those uh, times of socializing. Gathering around God's Word is so important. Studying and applying it, absolutely, but it's not the only thing. There's to be doers of the Word as well, and living life together. And if you're in a group, and you've been in a group for a while, switch it up. It's healthy. For two reasons. One, you stick with a group long enough, it becomes groupthink. Everybody starts to think alike. Some of you even start to look alike, <laughs> but you know, switch it up every year or two. Go to another group. It's not a bad thing. We try to make a a point of visiting, of being part of a group for a season or two, and then moving on to another group. It's nothing, anything happened or anything like that. We still, you know, it's just it was time to for another group. Because after 10 years, if you're with one group for 10 years, you've got to really know 10 believers, 10 brothers and sisters over that 10 years. But if you mix it up every year, at the end of 10 years, you have gotten to know and do life with 100 brothers and sisters. That's an abundant life. So mix it up. But maybe there are some here this morning who have not repented and believed on Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Maybe they're feeling alone and isolated, powerless in this world that's growing darker and colder, and the enemy is whispering in their ears, yeah, it's helpless, it's hopeless, there's no hope for you. I want you to know, if you're in that position, that is not true. There is hope. That hope is in Jesus. And if you get right with God by repenting of rebellion and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you too can be a child of God. You too can have family, even if you're alone, even if you have no biological family around. Once you become a child of God, we all become brothers and sisters. And I remind everyone each week of that. When I greet you, I'll often say, hey, brother, hey, sister, as a reminder to us all that we're in this life together. This is what the Lord has promised for us. This is his plan. So if you don't know Jesus, if you have not been saved and you would like to know more about that, please come and ask. We'd we'd love to give you the truth. And for the rest of us, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of who we are in Christ because of Christ. There's nothing we did. We didn't earn our salvation. We didn't earn the right to be called a child of God. Jesus, it was you and you alone who paid the price for us fully and completely suffering and dying on the cross to receive the wrath of the Father that was meant for us. What kind of love is that, Lord? No matter how long we've walked with you, we still don't fully understand and comprehend that. But we are grateful because we know it to be true. And Lord, thank you that you have not called us to live a life of solitude, but to live in community amongst other brothers and sisters who have also been saved, who also have the Holy Spirit in them, who also desire to be more like you, who also desire to to worship you and see you glorified. So, Lord, thank you for fellowship. Thank you for the communion that we have with one another. Lord, for those times that we fall short and we succumb to selfishness. Holy Spirit, we know that you convict us of that sin. May we be quick to repent and respond to that. Holy Spirit, give us a greater sensitivity to that divine, supernatural unity we have because of Christ that we would care for others more than ourselves, that we would defer to others and think more highly of them and love them as you have loved us. So, Lord, we look forward in the coming days and weeks that you will draw us into fellowship for those who have not been connected yet will be connected, that we would bear one another's burden, bear our own burdens, and care for one another to bring glory and honor to you